With time comes money. Do you have a rough dollar spend on how serves get paid so far? Uh, probably US. Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and we're here, as always, to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. First up, Buck is going to join me, and we're going to talk about all the week's news from a Pipe Masters reveal. Yes, there's going to be a Pipe Masters this year. No, it's not going to be like anything you've seen before. Um, so we're going to break down some of the details on that. We're also going to be talking about our new premium series that's dropping this week, the Electric Acid Surfboard Test with Mick Fanning. And we also have a little sort of coup on our hands. Um, goofy Foots are rising up against the unfair WSL, and... Buck is pretty much spearheading the entire thing. Later on in the episode, Stace Galbraith is going to interview Sam McIntosh about all things how surfers get paid. That's a series that was dropping in the past two weeks on Stab Premium, and it's you know, been called by many people the best thing that we've ever made, basically interviewing all the biggest names in surfing about their financials. <laughs> it sounds kind of dry, but it is, I promise you, anything but. And this interview with Sam will certainly tip you over the edge if our podcast hasn't already. And on that note, I wanted to let you know that this is going to be the last week that we are running our 20% off Stab Premium discount via the podcast. So stay tuned. We're going to drop that discount code later on in the episode. And again, it's going to be the last time you're going to be able to use it after that we're shutting it down uh, because we only want our core podcast listeners to get it we don't want it just like given out to every single person who may stumble upon a single episode it's just for the people that are here week in and week out so anyway that's the drop we're gonna go straight in with buck here we go mikey c i have failed you i failed you you gave me a challenge i failed you oh my god no did you abandon your switch surfing yeah but it wasn't really my fault it was the ocean's fault which is the coolest thing about surfing is you could always, always blame the ocean. Pretty much no matter what, you just say it was the ocean's fault in some way. So I'm here today to tell you it was the ocean's fault. How did the ocean cruel you? All right, we last talked on a Thursday. Friday was fun waves, I went switch. Saturday was fun waves, I went switch. Sunday was very not fun waves, I tried to go switch, it was pointless. It's been flat since then. So um, ocean's fault, right? I could, do I... Wait, but see, you didn't not go switch though, right? I mean, by the end of Sunday when I was looking at the forecast and there was still like a waist high wave to ride, I I, I went left a few times. I, but I knew that it was going to end because of the forecast. Anyway, like I wasn't going to, like I rode a softy a few times this week for fun. Like I, I'm not, that's not going to do much for switch, I don't think. You know, you're just kind of going straight. It's been tiny. Well, it sounds like you still put in a decent amount of time, no? I did, and the thing is, I just want to do it right one week. Like, I want to have a week with, like, funnish waves and do it proper. I probably, I could have seen the forecast and been able to say that. I think I did see the forecast, but it's just, like, optimistic. I was like, no, nah, no, it'll not be one foot. And then it turns out they were right. It was one foot. Well, you, I heard that you're going to France this upcoming week, and I heard that there's no. you know a good-looking swell coming. It might be no. classic Hossiger, like four to no. six foot, just tubing no. every wave. So you you no. can always. <laughs> yes, I'm going, but no, I'm not. That's not what's happening. I want to flip. I want to give you one. What's your week looking like? Oh, you're gonna give me a challenge. Yeah. Uh, my week is looking dry, really dry. Well, actually, okay. So there is a little tiny bit of a tropical system that may arrive like late week next week, but for the next seven days from today, I don't think I'm going to touch the ocean. Okay. Well, 
maybe we could get a little land-based challenge. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners right now that say, hey, I'm not going to touch the ocean for seven days either. Okay, well, what do you have in mind? Um, Something like fitnessy, I guess. But like, I don't really believe that if you work out for like a week, it's not going to matter. You know, you need to do that probably for like a few months to see any real change, right? So it's like, if you work out hard for the next week, it's not going to not gonna do shit, really, right? Am I wrong on no, that? No, you're probably right. Um, What about Gurr's thing? That's not like, that's like more mental. Oh. Yeah, you know, I have, um, I've sinned, I suppose. So I actually like went into, I remember I was in Hawaii and I was watching Tara Watanabe surf and just thinking like, there are just so many flaws in my surfing that I would love to fix. And, you know, it was the new year. I was feeling all energized and I was like, you know what? I'm going to like commit a year to doing Gurr's wave key thing and I'm going to become a better surfer. And I actually, I went so far, I reached out to Gurr. He was like super open to working with me. He was excited and he gave me some time to like, you know, he watched some clips and then we had a little session together. He gave me some things to start working on and I started and then I was in this period where I wasn't able to surf for a long time. So I got really demotivated. Blaming the ocean, blaming the ocean. Yep. Nice. Like it. I kind of just gave up, but I do, I technically, he sent me a video of like a thing to work on, which is honestly like, it's basically a half, it's a bottom turn into like the first half of a turn. And that, that is the stage at which in his program that I got to. So, (laughs) okay. Hey, you're on your feet. You're up and riding. Like that's, I'm on the board. All right. How do you feel about giving it a go? Can you do like a week of like, uh, bottom turning? Yeah, I guess I'll have to. Okay. And my bottom turn is terrible as well. So it's probably a good use of that, that time that I have away from the ocean. So, all right, I'll do a week of bottom turns. Dry land. I'm, I'm like seriously so curious about it though. Like it just looks, it's just a little bit mystic, you know? I don't know. It's, it's, I'm really interested to see how you go and uh, I'll see your bottom turn soon enough. Yeah, that's true. We're going to be coming together soon. Um, more on that soon. Can't give away too much soon. just yet. Ooh. But until then, should we uh, get into the news? Yeah, it's a huge week. Let's go. Introducing the totally reimagined 2022 Vans Pipe Masters with an emphasis on giant airs. Boom. Wow. Okay. That's a big headline. Pipe Masters. Yes. It's back. Giant Airs. They are back-ish. I mean, Nate Fletcher did that one in 2020 at Pipe. We're, that's what we're going for with this, is a tube into that. So, holy shit. This is something. It sure is. So, just a little bit of backstory. Um, I'm sure a lot of readers or listeners remember this, but there was this whole thing with the WSL and Vans about the Pipe Masters, quote-unquote Pipe Masters, the IP for the Pipe Masters was always owned by Vans. And they basically lended it to the WSL to uh, make it part of their Triple Crown system. Because the Triple Crown system has now gone digital, they don't necessarily need to attach the quote-unquote Pipe Masters to that. And so basically what's happened is the WSL has gone and they've made the first event of the year the Pipe Pro not the Pipe Masters anymore, despite the fact that it has all the CT surfers in it. So Vans is holding on to this IP, the Pipe Masters, and they were like, "Why? we need to do something with this. This is the biggest event in surfing, or one of. 
and they have the window in early December, like that that original Pipe Masters window from December 8th to the 20th. And so this year, they are bringing it back, and it is going to be a completely reimagined, different format and event that we've ever seen before. And I just want to point out, that's why it's so important to use a VPN, because the WSL, <laughs> they're tracking your IP. And every move, you don't use a VPN, you're blowing it. But... Um, this is huge, seriously. It's that it's back to that December window, the eighth to the twentieth, where we've always seen Pipe Masters just before it switched to the WSL's new thing and kicking off the season there. But yeah, it's coming back, and you played a big part in the format, didn't you, there, Michael? Well, uh, I mean, yes and no. Like I was part of a big group of people from Stab and Vans and outside of Vans as well. There's a lot of communication I know with like local pipe surfers to like really nail down. Like basically they went into this thinking, how can we just, let's imagine that we'd never seen a surf contest before and how can we make the best, most interesting possible surf event? And so there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of different thoughts and theories, but eventually they landed with this format. So there's going to be 40 men and 20 women. And the way the event's going to work is people are going to be put into heats of four, but it's a no-loser style event. So you're not going into these heats thinking like, oh, I need to beat these people. It's a leaderboard style event. So you're thinking about it. I need to go out there and get the best scores I possibly can because you're competing against the entire field. So there's going to be three rounds, like three preliminary rounds, you can call them. So your, your group of four is going to paddle out. You're going to get 30 minutes out of pipeline. Your goal is to get the best waves that you possibly can. You're going to do that three times over the course of the contest window. Uh, from those three preliminary rounds, you're going to keep three total waves, your three best waves. They could all come in one round. They could all come, you know, one from round one, one from round two, one from round three, or any combination in between there. And at the end of that, they're going to take the top four men and the top four women and put them in a final that is going to be competed in, you know, like a normal heat where you're actually going head to head against those people. So that's just like the general overall format. But they've also gone ahead and completely changed the judging criteria. So typically at a Pipe Masters or like any pipeline event, really, the vast majority of a surfer's score comes from getting a barrel, right? You can add a few, maybe a point or two here or there for doing a big turn or maybe an air after the barrel. But if you don't get that barrel, the truth is you're probably not going to get above like a four or a five. Vans has completely dismantled this style of thinking. Their idea is we want to push what's possible and see people reimagine pipeline. Think of it as like, you know, not just the best barreling wave in the world, but also the best air section, which we've heard and seen Nathan Fletcher validate, um, along with John John Florence's air at Backdoor, Baron Mamiya's done some incredible airs at Pipeline, the list goes on. And also as just the performance wave, like on the face, you know, back in the 80s, or sorry, early 90s, Tom Carroll's snap sort of blew people's minds. And that turn is still relevant today because of how aggressive and impressive it was to do a turn like that on an oververt, you know, 12 foot face. So basically what they've done is they've gone ahead and said that, yes, you can still get a huge score. You can still get a 10 for just a barrel, like an incredible pipeline barrel is always going to be a big score, but you can also look at it differently and say, oh, I'm going to go on a different looking wave, hit a huge ramp, go 10 feet above the lip, come down and land it. And you can get a 10 for that as well. So they really just opened up the scoring and they're pushing people to look at pipeline in a different light, which I think is really cool. I think so too. And especially if you look back, especially at the last few years of pipe, I mean, it's an airwave. Like you see 
you see people in CT heats hitting the end section and landing big errors. And I feel like there's always like a confusion about what to do with it. I think it's cool to eliminate that confusion. And to be clear, this is not going to be a CT event, but it's going to be WSL sanctioned. So it's just like what the Eddie was back in the day when CT surfers would show up in it, but it's not going to factor. It's not going to give them points for the world title or for the challenger series or anything like that, but no limits on who and who can't compete. Cause in other events like WSL, has rights over these people. They just be like, Hey, nah, you're not allowed to do that and hurt yourself. So they are aligned with this one means you'll see some of the world's best. And I love it. Like, I love the idea of a reimagined surf contest. It it feels like it's about time. And I feel like with how the WSL has been doing things lately and how that's, there's a lot of criticism around that. I kind of like it. I just think it's more interesting from solely from a fan's perspective, but I think it brings to me, it brings to mind like the fact that there are other ways to do things and why not explore them, especially through a lens of not trying to declare the world champion of serving for a year, just have a really sick event and reward some great surfing for that event. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And it also like, I don't know, people are automatically going to go to, Oh, this is a good idea or this is a bad idea or this is worse than the WSL or better than WSL. But I just see it as a great compliment because people can criticize the WSL all they want, but at the end of the day, we're all still tuning into all those events. You know, we have the WSL finals coming up next week. Like these are things that we're so excited about and they provide an incredible platform. I think that again, like a lot of the changes they've made recently are actually for the better of the sport. But that being said, there's also a totally different side of surfing that we also want to explore. You know, and the fact that Vans is taking a swing at trying something new is incredible. It's obviously something that Stab has been really passionate about for years, you know, making events like Stab High, Surf 100, etc. So none of this is like, it's not black and white. It's not only one can exist. Like all these things should exist in harmony and... Yeah, it's brilliant. And earlier you brought up the point of um, CT surfers being invited. So to sort of get into who's coming to this event, it's it's all invitational. So you're going to see some CT surfers, yes, but maybe not as many as you'd imagine because the field is also going to be 50% local and Hawaiian surfers. So right off the bat, you know, that's 20 of the women, or sorry, 20 of the men and 10 of the women. Then the other part of the field is going to be comprised of the best tube riders from around the world, but also a lot of the best like air surfers from around the world. Like there are going to be guys who you might be used to seeing in a stab high, but they're going to be in this event. And we're hoping that they are going to use this opportunity not only to maybe get waves at pipeline that they wouldn't have been able to previously to get barreled, but also look for ramps out there that nobody else is other than maybe Nate Fletcher and John Florence and a few others have had the guts to even hit. So, um, yeah, like I said, invitation only 50% local and Hawaiian and then 50% sort of wild card. Who knows? Yeah. I think that's so sick too, because you'd see it at the, at the QS that they had at pipe. It was the Vulcan one for a while where you would see people that like you'd heard of and maybe watch their edits and you'd see them like kind of get to figure out pipe in real time. Like they'd all of a sudden have, like, maybe they've been trying all winter, but just, you know, haven't figured out the pecking order and the lineup yet. Whereas you'd watch people in real time figure that wave out. I feel like the backdoor shootout, you see that too. So giving them the opportunity to do that and see some different takes on that wave is going to be so sick. December 8th through the 20th. 
and you better believe we got plenty more coming between now and then so we'll keep you posted yeah we've got just a little teaser we do have a pre-show for the pipe masters i believe the first episode is dropping in early october so that will reveal the first list of invitees and i think the second episode comes shortly after that so you'll have an idea of who's in this event by early to mid-october and then just one other thing, Buck, that, that sort of keeps coming up on the comments when we posted this originally on the site is people are really interested about the no priority rule. That's the other big format change that Vans has decided to make with this is that there's just no priority, which we haven't seen in a surfing contest, like, a, you know, a big level surfing contest since I can really remember. Um, I guess like the Eddy and like some big wave events don't necessarily have them, but that's sort of a totally different thing but yeah this is going to be no priority for person heats um, two locals and two non-locals in each heat so it's going to be a really interesting dynamic but um what's your take on the no priority does that seem like it could be like dangerous or bad in some way or do you see any upside to it i like it i think it goes back to that whole idea of like seriously trying to reimagine a surf contest like i, I think if you're really setting out to do that not to just use it as like a marketing line. And I think that's what's been done here. You'd have to look at every detail if you really want to reimagine it. And priority is a part of that, right? Like you have to look at priority. And when I think about it, I think about really how it affects people's willingness to go on waves or not. Like I, I get that there's a whole, what it actually means, which is like who has the right to go. But the first thing that really comes to mind for me is is the wave selection. Like even with what the WSL does with the double heat format, they're trying to let more waves go ridden instead of having people wait for like, you know, you want to give the two best waves in the heat. So I like it for that reason. I think people being able to really just surf and read a lineup that way as if you're just trying to get whatever wave you think is good, not the best two waves of the heat exactly per se. I think it's sick and I think it's going to just encourage different surfing. I think it's going to encourage people to be like, you know what? Traditionally, maybe I wouldn't look at this wave, but if I can just get into this section and then do a 20-foot air, yeah, this is the time to go for it. Yeah, I agree. It it aligns with the other changes that they made in that sense. I also think it just it's going to add a new layer of drama to surfing that we haven't seen in a while. Like the idea of like proper paddle battles and stuff, especially at a split peak like pipeline, is actually really exciting to me. And also to see the dynamic of like Obviously, when you are just on a normal day at Pipeline, right, the the local Hawaiian surfers, there's no established priority, but, like, you know for a fact that when certain people are paddling for a wave, like other people don't paddle. And it'll be interesting to see if that comes into play in an event of this magnitude. Like, I'm just imagining like a like imagine like billy kemper and craig anderson being in the same heat and like craig's been waiting longer and he's so deeper and, and billy just looks over his shoulder at like how is that gonna play out you know what i mean and who's who, who wouldn't want to watch that yeah. too right like who <laughs> wouldn't want to see how that unfolds like that what a what a kind of scenario to create yeah so um yeah there's a lot there and like buck said we're going to be talking about it a lot more and we're also pretty involved like it's basically we are the media partners for vans on this whole thing so we're going to be heavily invested in this event. Um, so yeah, a lot more to come. We're really, really excited for it. Plenty more, folks. Plenty more. Electric acid surfboard test with Mick Fanning, episode one. I told you it was a big week, folks. I was not lying. Pipe Masters news and East with Mick. East with Mick Fanning. Okay, White Lightning. It's here. You know where they went? The Maldives. 
And you know what? I'm committing to saying Maldives. <laughs> I think there's some Maldives in the mix. I'm going dives, and I'm going to commit to it for the entire series. There's going to be four episodes, I believe. So I'm diving the whole way. Okay. And just to clarify things, where do you uh, stand on the last CT venue? I like Kaipo's pronunciation. Teahohohapua. Uh, how about you? That was uh, that was funny. How many people stuck to that too? Just like the, I, I swear I saw multiple comments about how every single commentator said it a little bit differently. Um, but this is easy. Mal dives. Are you on? Are you on team dives? I'm on team dives. Yeah, I'm sure we're wrong. But um, until Kaipo comes and tells us otherwise, I'm going to commit to Mal dives. Okay, cool. So we're doing it different this year, folks. There are six boards. Usually. That means there are six shapers. There are not six shapers this year. There are 12. So this year we had surfers, or sorry, this year we had shapers collaborate to create these things. I'm not going to use the word craft. <laughs> create these boards, these planks, okay? And we tried to make things really interesting. We tried to get a little bit of that Billy Kemp or Craig Anderson at Pipe Energy going. Mm. So. My favorite one that I just have to call out right now, Peter Schroff and Hayden Cox. Are you sure? If, sure it's not Hayden Cox? It could be Cox and it could be Schroff. <laughs> Is it Schroff? Yeah, it's Schroff. <laughs> Fucking hell. Schroff. Schroff. Dives. Schroff. Yeah. I want to go Schroff. <laughs> okay. Peter Schroff, Hayden Cox. If you're not super familiar with their backstory i'll just get right into it there's a video of peter in really small jean shorts with the chainsaw hacking up a hayden shapes hypto crypto he was it was a statement against imported boards he's been shaping in the u.s for so long and so he's a really kind of out there creative guy decided to communicate his disinterest in overseas surfboard manufacturing with a chainsaw Jean shorts, a couple cigarettes. It's a wild watch. Uh, Hayden did not like that, obviously. How would you? He puts a lot into what he does, and he really has redefined surfboards, in my opinion. We got them to go, not really in a room together, in a room together digitally, at least, and decide on how to make a surfboard. And it's fucking awesome. It's way different East. I don't want to spoil too much. We're going to have a few weeks of talking about it, but I do believe we have a voice note from Taylor Paul who helped run production on this, and he'll give you a lay of the land. Hello, Buck and Mikey. This is Taylor Paul here to give you the 60-second explanation for this year's electric acid surfboard test. Uh, this year we went to the Maldives with Mick Fanning, where he rode six boards made by 12 shapers. Those collaborative pairings were Darren Hanley and Simon Jones, Ryan Birch and John Simon. That's episode one. Then there's Greg Weber, Josh Keough, Matt Biolas, and Donald Brink, and they'll be featured in episode two. And the third episode will be Hayden Cox and Peter Schroff, and Matt Parker and Joe Falcone. So we're going to have four episodes in total, dropping every Thursday evening, California time. And in the first three episodes, Mick will ride two boards, and at the end of each episode, he'll eliminate one board and send the other to the final. And in the fourth and final episode, he'll ride the three favorite boards and pick one to take home feedback so far has been really good um the first episode has dhd and simon jones together and ryan birch and john simon and like i mentioned next week will be greg weber shaping with josh keogh and matt biolas teaming up with donald brink 
which was one of my favorite pairings of the whole series. Hope you'll check it out. So that's where it's at. Mikey, anything to add? Um, I, I just have one takeaway, I guess, from the first episode. And well, it's more of, I'm going to frame it as a question to you. What are your thoughts on traction pads on mid-lengths? I, that's like asking me what my opinion is on a country I've never been to. I've never stepped foot in this place. What, what do I think about the food of Uruguay? <laughs> I have no idea. I've never been there. I can't weigh in on this. So I, I, can't, I can't tell you. I've never stepped foot on mid-length. I kind of feel guilty about this. Still haven't surfed a single fin. I'm 32. Um, I should probably do that at some point. So yeah, I can't weigh in. Okay, got it. Yeah, it it offended me slightly, but then I also remember that Mick is a part owner of Creatures, so I guess he's just a smart businessman. Mm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess there's a whole thing about like not putting them on, on that kind of board. To me, like, I really want to get an MR. I just think those look so fun. They look sick too. And why wouldn't you want a board designed by MR? He's just a legend. And let's be honest, people like him don't stay around forever. Um, he's pretty old. So I want to get an MR. I just think that's something that you treasure for life. You don't hang on your wall. You surf it at least once a year. And I would be really confused about a pad on that. Because I've tried a friends and you could rip those things like properly. Like they feel good. And I would want a pad. I'm miserable at surfing without a pad. <laughs> And that would probably be like, especially with how sick they look, like usually he does those crazy paint jobs. Um, I would be really confused. So Yeah, you can't. You just can't. I would want to though. Yeah, so it's hard. No, I wouldn't put I wouldn't put a pad on MR, but folks, I'm not a psychopath, okay? I wouldn't do it in the end. You have to unless you had some equity in creatures. Unless I had equity in creatures, in which case I would put a front pad on too. Who makes the best surfboards in the world? Uh, maybe Hayden Cox and Peter Schroff. Maybe not. This is a article that unpacks another stab survey result. And so we had about 5K people weigh in on their favorite surfboard brand in the world. The answer, spoiler alert, is catch surf. Technically. I mean, this... This article unpacks everything. One of the one of the questions is, what is your favorite soft top company in the world? And Catch Surf did win that, but there is a legitimate answer to who makes the best surfboards in the lens of like high performance or just you know not soft things, um, which I don't want to give away here. Go pay no, for that. But but I did. It, it is interesting because Taylor basically polled our staff when he was making this to find out if any of us could tell him who the like oh, best surfboards yeah, belong to, according to the masses. Yeah, and I don't think anybody in our staff got it right, except maybe Ryan, the intern, might have gotten it right. And then Taylor also, once he realized that like it's not easy to do, I think he put the question out to Stab Premium members, like, if anybody can tell me who the top three are in order, according to our uh, pollsters, or whatever they're called, uh, he would give the first person that sends in the correct answer some sort of gift or prize or whatever. And I think, uh, you know, 100 plus people submitted answers, and I think only like five of them actually got it right. So it's not as easy as you think to to guess the top three surfboards in the world, according to the stab audience. It's not, and I'm not going to give it away. Go read it. There's plenty more. There is the soft top question, if you want that. But there's also fin preference. There's kind of board type preference. Uh, I'll spoil that. High performance shortboards win. Why wouldn't they, folks? Why wouldn't they? They're just, they're but, just Swiss Army okay. knives. That is wild to me, though, because, yeah, that to me that was like the silent majority, I guess, finally having their say, because the question, I think, was framed as, what is the last board that you purchased, right? So you could say, 
high performance board, fish, uh, groveler, mid length longboard, etc. And yet, high performance boards were like buying away the 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 significant leader in that category. But I also part of me does think that that is maybe more indicative of Stab's readership than it is the broader surfboard market. Because I think if you asked most brand people they tell you oh no like we definitely sell more fun shapes or whatever than than high performance boards so thanks for keeping it core stab audience definitely definitely thank you for keeping it core and what's funny on that point is that it's what is the last board you purchased not like what is the best board in your quiver it's like what's the most recent one you purchased and i feel like a lot of people who have been riding those boards for a while are more likely to have recently indulged but like you know what i already have a high performance board that i love like I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try something a little bit more alternative. But no, still, we're just addicted to these 5.11 things with the pointy nose and three fins. And I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, well, well done. And also, most people are buying two to three boards per year, which is like a decent amount, I would say. That's pretty cool as well. That's pretty good, too. Yeah, I'm going to buy like eight when I get to Hawaii again this year on Craigslist. So that's coming. (laughs) Go read this one. Not going to give more away. Go find out. Make better purchases, more informed purchases. Don't worry. Two stories from now, I'm going to give a bunch of shit away. So stay tuned. Is it time to lay down our pitchforks and humanize our comrades in the booth? This story written by Ethan Davis explores that question. Are we too mean to the WSL's commentary team? We could be very mean to them sometimes. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And also, how does the whole commentary thing work? How do you become that? Ethan sought to answer those questions, and he went to none other than Paul Evans, who recorded a little something about this story. Let's hear it. Guys, guys, is it time to lay down our pitchforks and humanize our comrades in the booth? No, no, it's it's probably not. It's probably time to sharpen the pitchforks. But never mind all that shit. What I'm really here to talk about is uh, microfiber towels. Probably the biggest thing to happen to surfing and to beachgoers since the shortboard revolution. You can fold them up the size of a postage stamp and fit them in your back pocket. Microfiber towels. If you haven't got one, you're lying to yourself. All right, so... Um, <laughs> no, I guess I guess we sharpen our pitchforks. Um this story still does a good job at explaining how that whole world works, the difference between play-by-play and color, how you become that, and um, really just like the feedback at that level. But microfiber towels, I had no idea what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, this is actually a, a plug for our new podcast sponsor, Slow Tide. Um, Aaron's going to be very happy mm. that we found a way to work this into the episode. So there you go, Aaron. And um, yeah, thank you, Paul, for all of your insights. And one of the one of my favorite parts of this story, and I think it was actually part of a prior story as well that Paul either wrote or was involved in, but he did, um, he is the unofficial world record for the most days of commenting surf events oh, it's official. in a month. It's official. Yeah. He yeah. did 28 days in a September, which is a month with only 30 days as well. So that makes it even more impressive. But 28 days of surf commentating. Can you imagine how many words he would have spoken and like surf related words? Yeah, no, he's the real hero, folks. You know, he's he's out there getting it done, especially those slow heats at uh, in Anglet. Well, so have you ever commentated a surf event? I have. Which one? One in Cabo. It was a junior and a QS. Nice. Cabo Los Cabos. Open, How was it? Um, six years ago, maybe. It was pretty fucked. It was <laughs> like so 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 slow, and. 
like I think it would have been fine at like a QS level, but at a junior level, I just didn't know as many backstories, you know, like I was familiar with some of the kids, but if there's like a heat where it may be like a 15 minute lull and you don't really know about the kids. So you can't really go into detail about what they've been up to or really talk about anything. I was still talking. I just don't know about what, so it was really hard. Um, I'd do it again. It, it wasn't, you know, something that was like jarringly bad, but it's, it's definitely not easy. And you definitely like, when you're under pressure to say something instead of just like sitting around drinking beer with your friends, watching a thing, making fun of Kaipo's pronunciations. Um, it's way different. Yeah. It's way different when you, there's a live microphone that you have to speak into. It's a weird feeling. So that was like, obviously junior level. I imagine there was no webcast. It was probably just like live for the beach, right? No, no, no. There's a webcast. Yeah. Oh, there was a webcast. Okay. Well, so if the WSL called you today and said, um, we need you to come commentate this next CT event, like lowers, say, would you do it? Yeah, that'd be so funny. I would definitely mess some <laughs> shit up. It would be really like, I would be more worried about saying something that I legitimately don't mean because I felt like space needed to be filled than like making some horrible blunder. Like I, I'd be more upset with myself if I just said something that like was just so ingenuine and just fucking lifeless than like if I misname the champion, I think. Right. And I'm right, right, right. Like that that would be scary to me. But I would I think I would mess up and be funny and I'd get like to make my friends laugh. So one of the things that has become like actually really recently apparent to me is that, you know, the commentators they well there's a few levels to this, right? Because people all people have their favorite commentators. Some people love Strider's quirkiness, some people, you know, appreciate the more sort of like standard but brilliant approach of Ronnie. Um, some people love Kaipo, whatever. But I think that what we've seen, especially with this how surfers get paid thing, is like how much more down to earth these people are when they're not in that environment. And I think that there's just like a level of sort of like hamming it up, especially if you're in a position like Strider, that you, yeah, you just kind of naturally fall into that a little bit when you are like, you feel like you're like entertaining in that sense. Whereas you listen to him and how surfers get paid and he's so like relaxed and cool and just sounds like a guy you'd like want to hang out with. And, and it also makes me think that one of the biggest criticisms people have of the WSL commentators is that they often appear like they're like muzzled in some way, like they can't say anything negative, they can't be critical, etc. Which I actually, I think some of them are actually fairly, like Pete Mel's fairly critical, um, Ronnie too can get fairly critical, and, and I think we all appreciate that because as surfers, for whatever reason, we're all cynics, we just want to hear people talk shit. But I, I have a theory. I actually don't think that that is like a result of the W cell actually going up and telling them like, Hey guys, you like need to be super positive all the time. I, it makes me think of this study where I forget exactly where it was and I forget maybe the, the exact details. So somebody listening to this, I'm sorry if I, I missed a thing or two, but I remember the study being essentially that there were five monkeys put into a room and in that room there was a banana hanging from the ceiling and then a ladder leading up to the banana. So as soon as you put the monkeys in the room, the first monkey or maybe all the monkeys would try to scramble up the ladder and grab the banana. But every monkey that tried to grab the banana, they'd get sprayed with a hose of freezing cold water. And not only would they get sprayed, but the other five monkeys or four monkeys would get sprayed as well. 
So what this resulted in is every time a monkey tried to go up, he'd get sprayed, they'd get sprayed, and the other monkeys would get mad that the one scrambled up the ladder because he's the reason that they got sprayed. So what they started doing is they started pulling... (laughs) Stay with me, stay with me. Go on. What they started doing is they started pulling the original monkeys out one by one. So you started with five, you take one of those out, and you put in a new monkey who had never seen this happen before, so he had no idea. So the new monkey would see the banana up there, and he'd be like, oh, great, a banana, and he'd go up to run and grab it. And the other monkeys would start ripping him off the ladder because they knew what was going to happen, and they didn't want to get sprayed with ice water. So they kept doing this to the point that eventually there were none of the original monkeys None of the monkeys in there had ever actually seen any monkey or themselves get sprayed by water. So they didn't know why they were doing it, but they were still ripping monkeys off the ladder every time one went for the banana. And I feel like that is what happens at the WSL is like you kind of just fall into this trap of like, oh, like everybody else is being positive. So I need to like match that as well. That's that's okay. Well, first thought there is imagine you work hard throughout your whole entire academic career. Like from the point you're 12, you understand that (laughs) grades are important to you. You're doing all your homework. You're trying, you're studying for the tests. You get into a nice school, you go to the nice school. You know, maybe you even go to a graduate school after you further your education. It's a very, very big part of your life, maybe even your identity. And then you're just fucking hosing down monkeys all day. Like that's your job. (laughs) You're trying to find some great insights out about how about nature and maybe human nature and how we think and how we operate, and you're just hosing down monkeys. Um, <laughs> I just can't imagine how I would like think about the world if that was me. But uh, anyway, that that's really interesting. I had no idea how it was going to tie back into surfing and surf commentary, but it's that was really interesting, and I see that. Yeah, I mean there is. Obviously, we're social animals, and we understand and adhere to social norms, or some of us like to try to diverge from them a bit, and that's a different type of person. You know, it, I, that makes sense. Yeah, it'd be weird to just be a black cloud over the WSL the whole time, and just you wouldn't fit in. You would feel weird the whole time. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I'll hose the monkey. Yeah, but WSL, figure it out and call me. Deep dive. Are goofy footers at a competitive disadvantage? Remember when I said I was going to give some stuff away? Here we are, because this this one is close to my heart. Mikey, what's your before we get into it? What's your short answer to this question? Are goofy footers uh, at a competitive disadvantage? Yes. Okay. Thank you. I was really, I was you just going to be delusional if not. So let's get into the meat of it now. In that same survey that we've been referencing, the one who told us what the best board companies in the world are, we asked a question that kind of on paper probably didn't mean much. Just, are you regular or goofy? Let's figure that out. And so we found out out of 5,000 people, 36% of them stand goofy, 64% stand regular. Then we kind of realized nobody's asked 5,000 people which way they surfed before. This is actually nice to have. And so we used it as a jumping off point to figure out how that number compares to world champions, how it compares to current surfers on tour. And then we started getting deep about the waves on tour right now and if they favor frontside surfers. And we got deep here. So let's just start by saying that this number, this 36% goof, 64% regular, 
is kind of more or less matched by world champions and by current tour surfers. It doesn't deviate from it that much, which is also really on the men's side. On the men's side, yeah. On the women's side, things look a little bit different. But it doesn't seem like there's a huge like that kind of to me shows that maybe this is an accurate representation of the surfing public. Observationally, it feels right. It feels like more people surf regular than goofy, but not an incredible amount more. And so we're pretty confident in this, especially looking at things um, in terms of like these sets of surfers over time. But where things get really interesting to me is we narrow this down to a point where we looked, we tried to look at two rights and two lefts over five years, but there's really not two consistent. There hasn't been a left that has been consistently on tour other than Chopu in the past five years. You know, we had G-Land this year. We had the Bukit one year, but it kind of just bounces around. Like we don't have any staple lefts other than Chopu, which is really its own beast. I'd, I'd argue that that's different. We don't have any rippable lefts. But anyway, on the right side, we have plenty. The examples we pulled were Bells and J-Bay. And so we only did men's because the women's have kind of bounced around a while and their tour before is all synced up with the men's. But in the past five years there, we had 10 finalists. Out of them, eight were regular, two were goofy. And that's at both events. It seems to say that these events disproportionately favor regular footed surfers, front side surfers, and that, I mean, we just don't have any rippable lefts on tour. And then a commenter actually called out that the CS is even worse. I had to look at that. And I mean, it's got Snapper, Ribera Delish, Haliva, Bolito, and three beach breaks. What the fuck is that? That is like, <laughs> that's This sounds like bullshit. corruption from the top. Yeah, this sounds like a conspiracy, if I'm being honest. And it sort of makes sense. I mean, Elo's a regular foot. And you'd have to think that, you know, just based on the statistics, the majority of the WSL brass is also regular foot. So this could be a concerted effort that, uh, yeah, we're trying to basically keep the, the tour pure. I guess so. And I mean, I think it also has something to do with where just locations, like the places in the world that have really good lefts. I could be wrong here. Some surf scientists could call me out and please do email us, but... I think if you look at northern hemisphere spots, like Portugal, for example, storms typically form north of where the swell is coming. So it makes sense on a west-facing coastline for there to be more rights, right? Because you have the swell kind of hitting that angle. Same with any west-facing coast in the Pacific. Well, any in the northern Pacific. Whereas I think if you look at the southern Pacific and southern Atlantic, both those coastlines are loaded with lefts because the storms come from a different angle. Like the whole West African coastline, fucking land of the lefts. Look at Skeleton Bay. Look at Chile. Same thing. Storms are going to generate from under it, since well from under it, and you're going to get way more lefts. And I think those parts of the world just don't have as much surf history and surf like infrastructure to run events. I would think that plays a big role in it. Um, but I do like your theory that it's all Elo's fault because that's more fun. Well, and there is actually like, there are real case studies to show that these things are driven by like social patterns. So for instance, 62% of NHL players are left-handed compared to 10% of the human 
population being left-handed. And when I say that they're left-handed, that doesn't mean that they necessarily write with their left hand. It means that they hold their hockey stick with their left hand on the lower side, which is considered a left-handed hockey um, grip or whatever. But it's it's fascinating, and that goes back to Canada. Like I think more Canadian players play left-handed than other sports. And then you look at something like golf, and in golf, I think it's uh, 8% of golfers play left-handed. And it's like that's much lower than the general human population. And those things are, yeah, they're, so they're, those things are driven by, like in golf, I know for a fact that um, the amount of just pure golf, like left-handed sets that exist are so few that it's like harder to be a left-handed golfer, especially if you have, you know, lack of funds and you can't get like a custom set or whatever. And you're just like finding golf clubs and you want to start playing, you just start playing right-handed because you don't really have a choice. Like the options just aren't there for left-handed. Um, I'm not sure about like the econ- if economics come into the NHL thing, but I just know that in Canada, like, and now as a result in the NHL, because I think Canada is the most highly represented nation in the NHL, 62% of these people play left-handed. So yeah, there's a lot of factors that come into it. That's really interesting too. Did they have to torture any primates to arrive at that statistic? <laughs> um, yeah, you'd have to think so. Like, you know, water. At least a few. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess... Where where I go with it in the end is like, okay, if you are somebody who's taking competitive surfing seriously and you're a goofy foot, get good at going right. Like, you know what it is, so you know you're just going to have to get good at going right. And obviously, you can get a 10 on your backside. You can do anything on your backside. But if you're Tom Resvan, you can do frontside snaps on your backhand. I don't know if you saw our Instagram post this week. That <laughs> yeah, was a great post, great caption, and very, very true because... What I want to bring up, because to that point of like, all right, yeah, just get good at going backside if you're goof. When we talked about the switch thing, we did another poll on our Instagram, which a few thousand people answered as well, and prove what we kind of already would have thought is true in that 82% of surfers say they prefer going frontside. So that to me is telling, right? So if you have a just really majority preference saying they like to go frontside, it sucks to tell a section of them to figure out going backside when they don't want to, you know? So it is the world hates goofs confirmed. (laughs) And, um, it feels good as a goofy footer who you're suspicious of it your whole life. And the comments on the site are already great. They're just goofy footers are coming out of the woodwork to just there were, it's a big day for us. Okay. It's a big day for us. And it's going to be a big moment. Like when this thing hits social, Oh, the goofs are going to come out. If you're a goof, get behind it. Let's rise, you know? Like, it's it's time. I think you need to start a petition or something. Like, you you already pulled back the curtain. We know that this is coming from the top. I think that you guys need some sort of revolution. That's a good call. All right, I'll think of a hilarious petition to start because <laughs> there could be something that just makes no sense but kind of makes sense, but it's just perfect. And I guarantee you could get it up, like, through the WPS and into WSL, like I guarantee you. The only thing you have against you is basically that there are fewer goofy foot, so you're going to have to find some like bipartisan support. Yeah, yeah, we're going to need some allies. It. We're going to need some allies, folks, so get in the mix. Uh, we're coming. Um, to, to the WSL's credit, this is um, a pretty good case for why Lowers is a, a decent, at least, event, a venue for the last event of the year. Last year, we saw Gabriel Medina basically win on the lefts. So obviously it's not pipeline, which is also a great split peak option. But um, yeah, as far as like fairness goes in terms of a finals location, it does seem like lowers is pretty up there in terms of a high quality right and left split. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I did, 
I remember hearing that when they when the goal was to change it every year, I think they're looking at macaronis, which would have been going full left. Imagine that. But why not just have one there anyway? Fuck. Like, just do that. <laughs> just do that. All right. So Goofies will unite, and I'll be an ally. Okay, be an ally. Thank you. Look for more coming. We're going to get deeper. All right. It is the surf sin time. We have mentioned this. Because we are doing that code, we're going to get 20% off Stab Premium. Enter the code DROPWALLETS upon checkout to use it. Thank you to everybody who already has, by the way. There's been a few hundred of you, and we really appreciate that. We joke on here, but this tells us that what we're doing is a good use of our time, so we keep doing it, and thank you. Really, that's nice of you. And I just wanted to say, we've decided that this is actually the last week that we're going to have this discount running for now. So if you want to get in Stab Premium with a 20% discount, you need to do it this week. The uh, Of course, the code is drop wallets, one word, last chance to get in before we close it off. Last chance, and we... Fittingly, we are going to hear from Jeff, who pitched us this idea. This is his surf sin. This is his line of thinking. So he's a martyr. He died for your sins, but now he gave you this code. He gave you salvation. Let's hear it, Jeff. I am a serial surf podcast consumer, Lipped, ATS, and The Dooley, just to name a few. And it is this consumption that leads us to my surf sin, which I believe we're all in agreement is the most heinous and egregious to date. And quite simply, my surf sin is that I consume the stab podcast, cusp, drop, whatever it's called this week, and I am not a stab premium member. I've never gotten a subscription and uh it's been getting harder and harder to look at myself in the mirror i am uh i've just been sponging content and um and i i think there's a lot of others out there like me and i felt that uh you know this is a a safe space for us to air our transgressions against each other in or out of the water. And uh, I would like forgiveness. I would like an opportunity for those like me that are, as I mentioned before, sponging content without having a membership to possibly, you know, also be absolved. Is there, is there some way we can do like, a mass forgiveness or is that even possible? I don't know, but, um, please let me know. I'd, I'd like to rectify the situation. I'd like to be forgiven. Okay. We heard it. The penance. I mean, he's already healed. Like he died for your sins and now he, we have the code last week, get into it. What? Give it an extra week by like, the time next episode drops, it'll be gone. So get in there. But because that may have been a little bit anticlimactic, we've already been talking about this sin. I want to switch it up a little bit. I've confessed sins on here before, and I want to do that again. And I also want to show that although I am a high priest of surfing, 
I am not above you, okay? And so what I'm going to do is welcome you listeners to submit a penance for me. You could message it to us. Or sorry, you could email it to us. Our emails will be in the show notes. So you know how to submit the sins to us and you know how to submit a penance for me. Get it in as quickly as you can. We record these on Thursdays, so anything after Wednesday won't be looked at. Get it in. Give me a penance. I will prove it. Um, I will talk about proving it. I will document proving it. So I don't know. Be nice, I hope, but also be really funny. Be a little bit cruel. Make me do something dumb. Without further All right, ado. So what's your sin? My sin is, oh, this is something I really feel bad about. I was thinking about it for a while, and it came to me, and I really do feel bad about this. Um, okay, when I was at Quicksilver, part of my job was to write the words which would appear on, like, hang tags, especially on the more, like, if you bought a T-shirt, maybe I wouldn't be touching that, but, like, some of our more premium products or the products we were going to put some marketing behind I would be writing the you know 20 or so words that if you picked it up in a store would tell you what the product is about, why we made it, why you should buy it. And I was friends with the people who worked there. Like I would go, they were legitimately the people I was closest with. So like it was a Friday one day and there was a deadline for these hang tag things. And my buddy was the one who was in charge of the wetsuits and he was my friend. We we're gonna meet up with beers. La- we we're gonna meet up with for beers later that day. And I figured, okay, I'm gonna make him laugh, like, and then we'll talk about it over beers or something. And so I wrote this hang tag. It was for a wetsuit that had that kind of like smooth-looking neoprene. You know, it's kind of like shiny and smooth. It looks different than other stuff. And I had written that it was made with dolphin flesh. And then because he was because he trusted my work because this person literally believed in me. He did not even review it. He just said like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'd already been there for a few years. He respected me. He trusted me. And because he trusted me, these suits went out to stores that had hang tags on them that said that the wetsuit was made from dolphin flesh. And because he signed off on them, I felt, which made it worse. Like, I feel like he kind of got more heat than I did. Um, He had to answer to it more than I did. It wasn't like a huge run of suits, but like, it was enough to be like an ongoing pain in the ass. And um, like I said, I feel the worst about it because he he really bore the brunt of it, not me. Like I just kind of heard about it and then that was that. But he had to deal with like the angry emails of how this could happen. And I feel really like I feel genuinely bad about that. So he kept his job. I kept mine. But yeah, a lot of people picked up wetsuits in stores and, and it said they were made from dolphin flesh. And uh, I feel bad. So Give me a penance, folks. I'm uh, I'm happy to hear it. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I've got my own ideas, but I'm going to let the audience have a swing at this one, Buck. Um, that's almost as, as bad as the time that... Well, no, it's, it's worse than the time, actually, that you sent in a fake story to the inertia about how... What was the dolphin story again? Oh, it worked backwards from... I wanted them to print a line that just said, maybe people are dolphins. I think the exact line was, maybe people are dolphins after all as if this is something that people have been wondering out about for a while. You know, like, oh, let, let's see, are people really dull? After all, yes. So, you know, because they let kind of anybody contribute. And I think I was just, like, wanted to poke fun at it being like, it's one thing to have, like, people contribute, but, like, to call yourself the definitive voice in surfing, I just felt that was a little bit off. And so I wanted the definitive voice in surfing to say maybe people are dolphins after all. And so I faked that I was a marine biologist. I just created a fake email and 
I submitted a story saying that we did some study measuring like brain activity in dolphins and saying that it was like four, you know, under ocean construction. That's like what it was really for because I wanted something believable. But that as like a kind of byproduct of that, we found out that they get pleasure out of riding waves because their brains would light up. I made this up. I, I'm not, I was not that. I was spraying monkeys with a hose. But yeah, so they believed it. They like questioned it for a minute and I was like, no, yeah, like I'm definitely a marine biologist. And then so they printed that and I think I wrote something on Stab about it. And yeah, it did not, that didn't go over well. Um, I think I made some people laugh, but I didn't make people there very happy. And I feel bad about that too. I was like, I was younger, more of a dickhead then. I'm still a dickhead, but I don't think that much of one anymore. Um, so I feel bad about that, but I was, you know, there's a history of media outlets messing with each other and I was tapping into that a little bit. And uh, no, I feel worse about getting my friend in trouble at work. Okay, but there's, there is a dolphin theme here. So I think that re- uh, listeners should take that into consideration when formulating their penances for you. Oh, God. That's kind of scary. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let me hear it, folks. My email is in the show notes. Um, let's hear it. I'm really excited. Like I said, I'm, I'm just like you. You know, I'm uh, just like the rest of you. So let me hear it. Be high priest. Summon your high priestery and have at it. Thank you, Buckley. And yes, so this week it's going to be a little bit different. We're asking you guys to submit a penance for Buck. So please send that over in voice note form. We're not going to accept a written email. So in voice note, send it to michael at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com. And if we like your penance the best, we will run it on next week's episode. Now, without further ado, it is time for Stace Galbraith to sit down with Stab's founder, Sam McIntosh, to talk about probably his biggest personal endeavor in terms of like sitting in the editing bay working this thing out because it is an absolute beast how surfers get paid eps one and two are live and we have a little break until episode three for a very good reason that sam will explain in this interview so come on well welcome to a special edition of the drop we are 3d podcasting first time that uh, we're breaking in the studio here in the byron bay office Stace Galbraith alongside Stab founder Sam McIntosh. Sam, welcome to the dungeon. Um, first time in here, mate. Are you nervous? A little. Oh, actually, I'm not that nervous because I saw that there was a string out for the pod before us. So it was about an hour, so I don't think anyone's going to get this far. So that's, yeah. Oh, well, I can, uh, I've got control over that. I might chuck us at the front, but uh, you've had a busy week. It's been a busy day on the website today. I just saw you scrolling through the uh, electric acid surfboard test comments. So far, so good. Yeah, we got that one live. It's... um. It's a really good concept this year. I Taylor Paul pulled this one together and it was a tricky one getting Mick because Mick's quite a predictable surfer. Like the thing that makes him special, he takes the unpredictability of the ocean, makes everything kind of, I don't know, he has a formula for everything. I was like, how do we kind of make this one a little more exciting or try to almost throw Mick off his game? And so that was the coupling of the 12 shapers to make six surfboards as opposed to 12 surfboards that as we've done in the past. So, so far, so good. Yeah, I don't know how you throw him off his game. The Vans uh, Pipe Masters also announced today. Pretty exciting. Yeah, the different format's going to be interesting. It's um, going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It's like, I think a lot of the surfers are really excited about it. They get to surf three times, which is pretty special with three other guys out. Um, that will be like the leaderboard format. It will be... It's a it's a different way to approach it. It'll just see how that turns out. Like it's um, it is a very bold move. 
Speaking of bold moves, episode two of How Serves Get Paid came out last week. And I guess you pulled the curtain right back on the golden era so far and how surfers were making money. But uh, I think we better get straight into the deep end here, mate. How to stab making money? How are you being so progressive in this uh, market, which seems to be pretty challenging for most other people? Uh, we're just battling away. There's a there's a reason there's not a lot of surf media. It's a pretty tough game. Um, we're just a we're a small business, so we're privately owned. We don't we don't have any outside backing. We've never had any outside backing. We had that little window where we sold to Surf Stitch. But it's like, um, how do you explain it? I guess, yeah, it's, uh, it's just privately owned. We've, I've been the only person who's ever put money into the business. And the way we make, like the way we sort of stay alive is now we have our subscriber, our, our premium subscription offering, which is great because we have members now. We have this like, I don't know, it's like a newborn baby. You have to keep making sure that these guys are happy. So that's been, that's been the biggest change in probably the business in, since yeah since we started really you have your advertising then we have our events well advertising really is like the content production that we do like say the seorf series we did with borrow beer um what else do we do i can't even it just slips me mind when you start talking about it but um so events subscriber revenue advertiser revenue and that's kind of it really it's not too dissimilar to how things were in the, the 2010s sort of period, selling a surfing magazine and also creating that content on the side and then elevating it through that platform. Yeah, it is it's similar like that. But I guess now the incentives have changed because you have the internet and the incentives of the old internet were kind of a little broken. So you would go and do, you might go and meet someone, spend five days with them, write a big profile, take beautiful portraits, spend a couple of thousand words like documenting that and then you put it live on the site and alongside that, you go and put a crocodile attack in the surf. And that crocodile attack in the surf is going to get 50 times more people will watch it. And then you've got this other piece of content there that's just like, it just, it's beautiful, but no one really cares. Like the old, that's what the old internet's incentives were, kind of thing. And it's like, if you went and put the top five sharkiest wave in Australia versus a big deep dive profile on it, where you've gone and spent this... Like we're going to spend time with someone and done a really thoughtful deep dive with them. That was kind of where the old internet was broken. But now the really good thing about going to the subscription model is the places where we put our time and invest the, invest the resource and re we're really passionate about that is like, how to explain it? It's, um, quality of the viewer seems to be a lot stronger. You might be getting less eyeballs, but the, the quality seems to be there and the engagement online seems to be so strong. I think after How Service Got Paid, uh, the second episode dropped, I almost noticed an increase on every article around that seemed to have more engagement. So I think like if you're putting out those quality pieces, it's seeming to have a, a long-term positive effect across the whole site. Yeah. So like the, those articles of yesterday, right? Like where you spend all the time on it and then an LG and coffee thing spikes right next to it. And you're like, ah, oh, it's a waste of time. Now where we're putting in our time, you see, you see engagement, you see like the audience that really love it. And then the other side, you see new subscribers. So it's kind of like the incentives in the right, they're in the right place. So you can put the time into those stories because that was kind of an 18 month project. With time comes money. Do you have a rough dollar spend on how serves get paid so far? Uh, probably 120 US. And the feedback, like I said, it seems to be uh, awesome. But have you had any texts or emails uh, to the contrary? I uh, had lots of, um, not, it hasn't been a tongue bath per se, but like we had lots of good feedback. There's, 
I got a little bit of negativity. It's like, hey, you're making our up-and-coming pro surfers not want to be pro surfers because you're showing that it's not that great of a – as like a, a road – like it's not the best career option for them. And uh, I just don't – and I sort of push back on those. I don't think people, when they're trying to be the best, are doing it for money. So I, was, I didn't really agree with that. But um, mostly quite positive. Yeah, I mean, I find that sort of hard to agree with that comment. I think it's the reality of the situation, you know. Um, as, you know, Damien Farrenfort mentioned, kids that used to be on 150 or that kind of era of surfer or capable surfer, then, you know, that's ten fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year now. If that, you can't live or survive or make a, a, a C-grade surf career out of that. So I think if anything, shining a light on it and a bit of a reality of the situation, hopefully will encourage those kids to start thinking outside the box uh, and, and how they're making their incomes because um, there's certainly more than one way to skin a cat. And I think you guys like Kale Brock, Ben Gravy, Jamie O'Brien, they, they all showed that the, the internet's a big beast. And if you can, if you can get your head around it, um, it's not all about making heats. Yeah, and then in the later series, Ronnie Blakey sort of breaks it down and just says, hey, the way you look at it is the pro surfer of yesteryear is no more. Like, what does the modern pro surfer look like? And, yeah, he sort of redefines what he thinks the direction he should take. I think Jacob Wilcox has spoken to him a lot on the side. He's like, Jacob, like, you're into camping, you do all these things. Why would you not approach XYZ brands and, uh, and like, really trying to blow that part of your life up as opposed to, hey, Rip Curl, I want more money every year, like... He said that's the sort of the old school way of thinking. Yeah, definitely. You put a call out to a few people there, Pat Tenore, Kelly Slater, and uh, the women of the surf world. You had any uh, any reach outs from any of those characters? We're getting there. Yeah, I've, um, I'm a little tired today. We've been like, I've been up since four just doing Zoom interviews with guys in the US, seven hours ahead on the West Coast. So yeah, we're getting through them. We haven't got the elusive Kelly Slater yet, uh, but we're ticking off the names we wanted to chase down. So so far, so good. But it's um, it's just so strange because when you're doing these stories, right, like you don't know what you're looking for. So you're kind of mining, but you don't know what's under the ground. Like so say Geordie's story, right? We're just sitting there talking about his Red Bull hat. And he goes, I'm not meant to talk about it, but I'll tell you. And then he talks about this lawsuit and he just, you have no idea that thing happened. Have no idea that Strider strapped weed to his leg. We had no idea that Andy Irons lost his shit at Kelly's private jet. Like... You don't really know what you're going for. So you're just having these open conversations and they just pop up. Um, so that's been the most exciting part is just like the Pat O'Connell Julian story. Oh, you, haven't, you don't know that one yet, but that one's coming, which is pretty punchy. Uh, yeah, it's just those stories are out there and I think there's enough time has passed that people are willing to share those. Yeah, either that or you've built such strong relationships with these characters and uh, they feel comfortable enough to share these stories because some of them are pretty volatile. Yeah, it's – well, there's well, there's a big shift in our business. So uh, a long time ago – well, a long time ago now, uh, and not a, not a lot of people know, but he's a partner of mine on Stab, a guy called Tom Bird. He started with us, and he kind of just was feeling it out for a few years, and he was doing the commercial deals for us, and he sort of pulled me aside and was like, hey, we need to work on relationships. And this is one of those guys, like, you know him, but not many people outward face it know, know who Tom is. And like, do you know those guys who like get invited to every wedding? <laughs> I reckon I've known him to do like six, eight best man speeches, maybe, maybe more. And he's a person that people love and he just is friends with everyone. Everyone loves him. He has these long-term relationships. He's like, you can't run a business without relationships. Like it's just, it's fucking madness. And every time he'd go, he'd do this sort of risk calculus and he'd go, risk for reward, risk for reward. 
And on the old internet, when you'd like, you got that daily number of people on the site and you get addicted to this number. But it's like a vanity metric. It doesn't mean anything. And when you chase that number, it's just like, it's like kind of, what is it? It's just like these sort of empty calories. And, now, and so he's, he's been all about, hey, it's about relationships, long-term relationships, risk reward. And so that was a real shift in our business. And you'll see in a lot of things we do, like so the, so Joel Parkinson win that mud fight with a YouTube guy, remember? Mm. We just don't touch that stuff anymore. Like that's just free traffic for days. That thing just spikes, but it's, it's just like, it's not worth it. That's not why we're here anymore. So called Joel, I want to interview him for how surfers get paid. He's like, yeah, sweet, let's do it. And he'll be very candid. And then like Geordie, he's done Stab in the Dark with us, been very candid there. But we always make sure we try to put, make these guys look good. They give us their time. We try to give them a platform and go, how do we make these look, guys look as good as they possibly can? Because media, you don't, surfers, or well, I guess t- sort of celebrities across the board, they don't need media. They're their own media. Mm. So it's not like you have this crazy privilege of got to talk to us. So we have to operate in a way that makes them feel comfortable to be, just to give us their time and to give us, to, to give us their time with transparent answers as well. Like the way Geordie spoke, Jamie, Kolohe, like across the board, everyone was very candid. And we say to them, hey, if we, we would love you to be honest with us, but if you say something and you want us to pull it out, of course, mm. we'll clip it. Like that's just, that's I think what relationships are about. So Tom has been driving that for a very long time. And so we just, we work with the same partners for a long time, work with the same people for a long time. So it's kind of grabbing his ethos for life. And running through the entire business, and um, as you know, like I'm, you know Tom well, and he just has that. He has that um, the soft science. He has that real skill with people. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what clients are thinking. He knows what surfers are thinking. And he also knows sort of right from wrong. And he's forever saying, "Hey, we fucked up here. We need to fix this." Mm. Or when when it goes the other way, he goes, "No, no, we're we're in the right here." And I um, it's really good to have that kind of ballast to um, keep us on the right track. Yeah, definitely. When you're making these projects of, of this size, you obviously want to give, um, you know, the creative license is an interesting one. How, how much can you share and how much can you clip, but without taking away from the quality of the project, because you've got so many characters in these first few episodes. Um, I know with Quicksilver, you're able to share some information with them, obviously creating a long-term relationship there, but you don't have the time in the day to be sharing it with everyone. Yeah, but we give everyone a chance to have their say. And if someone wants to run their mouth, we go back to that person and say, hey, this has been, this has been said. Do you want to have a chance to have your say? Hmm. So Kolohe and Geordie both spoke, spoke about Paul Norde, went back to him to have his say, and he was quite happy to do that. But if someone wants to run their mouth, but we can't corroborate it from someone else, we just clip those stories. I saw a comment online back to some criticism of Paul Norde, and, and, and you jumped into his defense. How incredible was it to have him opening up like that? Are you on site at these interviews, or are you sending in um, a, you know, like a, a smaller part of the team? Yeah, I was sitting across the desk from him, just in the Vistler head office. And it was actually interesting. So Vinny Delapino, who works with him, I've known for a long time, awesome guy. And he's like, hey, I'm going to sit in this meeting because Paul has no filter. I want to make sure he doesn't overshare. And like, it, it was like, that, that story was a, the one with Geordie. It had a bad response. Well, people were critical because he's sort of punching down. But in the following episode, you'll sort of see him punching up. And I think he'll win more people over, but like we, you have to respect someone who just tells it as it is. Like that's, 
it's really, I don't know, it's so intriguing to hear someone speak like that so definitively and so unapologetically. Likewise with Strider, I think we see one version of him on the uh, the World Tour broadcast and then another version of him in, in this series. And he's in- incredibly insightful and super charismatic, hilarious. Uh, those inside the world of surf know that about him, but to see that on the big screen, man, he's, he's all time, isn't he? Yeah, Strider is. Uh, Strider had a really, really good response. Strider, Jordy, Kolohe, Dorma was amazing. Um, yeah, everyone has been great. It's been really fun. Even like, I don't think you see John John that candid. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you know the main point from yourself uh, when this first episode came out was to kind of lift the lid on everything behind the industry walls that sort of don't get spoken about. You know, money is such a taboo topic. And, you know, your main point was to help the surfers. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? You know, you obviously have had some negative feedback off the bat, but, you know, deep, deep down, what's your main point there? Well, I just think it's important that it's, it's sort of less about how, like how much surfers get paid. It's kind of like the kind of the inner workings of the surf industry. And I think it's important to learn that. I think it's really, I like seeing surfers get set up for life. Like the Luke Egan's, the Taj's. It's great. The Joel Parkinson's mix. Like, it's awesome to see that. I think it's hard when someone has surfed for 10 or 15 years professionally, get to the end of that, and they've got to go back into the workforce. Because while everyone's getting accreditation, whether it's like where they go study university, university or they go and get a degree, I mean, or they go and get an apprenticeship, you kind of like, they're taking off in their career. And really, surfing doesn't ladder up to anything. Mm. Besides like surf coaching and maybe commentary or judging, it's really hard to take those skills forward. And I think um, if you reach the upper echelon of surfing, you'd think there's enough of a base there to get you through life or to kind of leapfrog you into the next thing. And so I think it's good to kind of open the lid there. And it's also good to show that, like, not all the glitters is gold. Like, it's it's pretty tough. Unless you're the sort of 1% of the 1% or even the 1% of that, it's pretty hard to make it. Yeah, I don't ever think there's been a time where more surfers on tour are doing university degrees at the same time as competing at the top level. With uh, with Kaloha, I know you're really tight with him. How much input have you sort of had in, in his career? Um, I know he's sort of been well well managed by his father and uh, and other people around him. But um, yeah, can you speak to a little bit about your relationship with Kaloha? Yeah, what Dino has done with the the way that he has kind of helped sort of shepherd his direction through life is remarkable. Like he's just he has financial freedom. He's set up for life. The question is, is the closeness of his dad and the expectation, has that worked against him for, for his career? Like there's just so much being heaped on him. Like he did the 10-year Nike deal. He did all those like extraordinary things. And I was like, is, does the pressure that comes with that, does that work against you for your whole career? Like he was the guy, you know what I mean? And like he did the big deal. He had the new sponsors. Like everything was in the right place. He won the open men's when he was 14 or whatever that was in the NSS, NSSAs and it's it's a lot of pressure like his legacy now he needs to he needs to get that big result otherwise he's sort of like a Jack Freestone's kind of like runner up that's that's sort of where he sits at the moment obviously he's made the amazing films but he's such a competitor I think that would eat away at him a little bit so um that's a, it's a it's a challenging one but in terms of my relationship with him I've just I just, I'm always drawn to workers and, uh, and I'm drawn to people who, uh, like they're motivated, don't complain, uh, kind of like he has a level of stoicism I'm really drawn to. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I've just, he's got a really good way about him. He has a curiosity about him. And yeah, we just worked with him a lot and really enjoyed it. It was quite funny when we was younger in his career with Nike, we, we flew up to Oregon. Um, we went in the whole Nike facility and uh, we were pitching this product. I was like, hey, if you can align yourself with a piece of product that sells, you're just insulated forever. Like if you align with a, a singular product, so we pitched this pair of pants or well, like three-way stretch and whatever else. Um, and then we showed up and they're like, oh, this is, um, this is Chloe Andino's stylist. That, that, was my, that was my role. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Jesus. All right, this is it. Here we go. Yeah. And did, uh, did he get himself aligned with the product? Uh, no, it goes, that was buried. Oh, they, they liked it, but it was like those things take so long and by the time this thing would have come into play, yeah, they had um, they'd shut, shut Nike down, in surfing at least. Yeah, I definitely uh, hear what you're saying there about Kolohe. I can recall being at events with him and him having every bit of entourage support in the world and him running down before he did not even acknowledging that they were there. It almost seemed like overkill, you know, and it, I guess it has going to come to a point to him where it will be one of those things. Um, incredibly enough, he was one of the only surfers that uh, didn't have the force majeure clause in his contracts, and I guess we'll learn a little bit about that in further episodes down the track. But um, a question that I had uh, pegged my way, do you think he would have rather that win at D-Bar over Italo or having all that extra money by a not cancelled contract? Uh, he would take he would take the accolade of winning like 99 times out of 100. Actually, he would never take the cash over the winning. Mm. Like he would um, he'd prefer that win. Did you think he beat Illo? Oh, that was just a close heat. No, I don't think he did. No? No, but at the same time... Depending if they surf that heat ten times in those same waves, and you you threw ten different judges at it every time, I don't think you'd get a clear result. They're just a close heat, but when they're in finals, they're just magnified and and, and they get a lot more obviously a lot more eyeballs. It's the last heat of the event; everyone's keen to see a winner. That's why we tune in. So yeah, obviously it's going to get a lot of heat. But if that was a round one heat, I don't think anyone would really be making too many bones about it. Yeah, you're probably right. But what's interesting is so he was a kid who just won everything, right? And he had that momentum and that confidence. And what comes, what comes with that, it's just like, it's sort of an avalanche. And if you look at it, that was the first event of the year. Say he had it beaten Italo, got into the yellow jersey. What would that have done for his confidence and like his whole trajectory? He could have changed everything. Um, so I guess you, it's one of those things. You never know which way it's going to play out. But you would just think for a guy like that who had, he was just so used to winning. like, And then you go from this winning everything to winning nothing. I think it. I, do, I think it does impact your psyche. Oh, 100%. I don't think anyone's uh, managed expectation better than him. I'm sure in his mind he would love to have titles and event wins and everything like that, but the amount of pressure that was lumped on him from an early age, it's incredible to see how he's managed to get where he is and, like you say, be set up and, and have an incredible career. So I think he definitely um, you know, he can be proud of that. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny thing, though, expectation versus reality, and the universe works in a funny way. He kind of came into that start of that year definitely looking a little more holistic with his approach to winning and losing. And there would have been no greater test for him to put that to the, to the measure with how you digest that. Because I think the old Klohe, I think he would have probably broken everyone's jaw walking up the beach, but you just sort of saw him walk off and seem to take it in his stride as best he could. But I feel like you're a lot closer to him. You could probably comment on that. Yeah. It's almost, he, he's way better at coming to grips with that stuff. And then, He's so generous with his own support of, say, Griff. And I was like, that must be really hard mm. to go and do that, to carry him up the beach. 
and the younger guy from your own beach, that would be that would be difficult. Oh, uh, for sure. So it takes a lot of character and integrity, but um, yeah, not easy. No, nah, definitely not. Getting back to you know money and surfing and talking about it, because again, I feel like this is one of the first pieces that you've seen that's really pulled the the curtain back there. With the surfers on the world tour and how the contracts are built out, it, it's such an incentive to be on the world tour. And now with the uh, final five situation there would no doubt be clauses in in every deal that are are structured towards that rolling into tahiti what's your thoughts on the broadcast kind of adding a layer of uh storytelling there with financial incentives from the brand do you think that would uh, get us a few more eyeballs and, and listeners i think it would be interesting i um there's just so many narratives to follow like you think about when kelly and mick got in the booth last year you would never have expected any of those narratives to pop up like it was fascinating listening and uh, they were unguarded. So, yeah, that would that'd be a great storyline, but so are a dozen others. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't... It's not like that information is readily available. The reason that sort of I can speak to this with any kind of authority, I had a front row seat there with Taj. I was working those deals with him. I was around this time. It was like I just happened to be there. And then I was around Chloe's deals. I was around all these deals. And so it just... It wasn't like I had to ask anyone what they were on. And then that's what Snowball, we did, used to do the rich list. This one's less about what people make, like I was saying, but it's like just how and why stuff happens. Like we learned from Red Bull yesterday. When they have a world title bonus and they're like, they've got all world title bonus, all their surfers. If these guys all, like, if they had to pay those things out, it would be a huge thing on their balance sheet. So they go and make a bet on their odds and they get, they pay, so they got a million dollar world title bonus. They'll, they'll spend 150k on that world title, but if it doesn't come off, it costs them 150. But if it does come off, it costs them 150. It's like stuff like that was fascinating. That I, that's coming up in uh, the energy drinks episode. Yeah, right. Uh, getting back to Taj, is is he going to feature in uh, any further episodes? Uh, we've been texting back and forth actually. He's he's um he's like he's pretty funny. He's like, how good's Dane? Where did it all go? He goes, I think the same thing. Um, <laughs> I've done so much with Taj over the years. He's been like that. Without Taj, we there wouldn't be Stab. He was like the top of his game for so long, from the first episode doing the chopper shoot to helping me convince Joel to fly to Kuala Lumpur. No one had ever seen a wave pool before. You go and surf like that. Like trying to get someone to get on a plane for nine or ten hours to go somewhere where they might not get waves. Like he's just been such a big part of Stab all the way along. Like when we're trying to pull together a trip. It's just like Taj anchors it. He texts someone and then we, we kind of just pack it all in, in around him. So, yeah, he's been unbelievable. And all the way up until doing the stab in the dark, like 12 or so months ago. And then I hit him up about something like that. And after that, and I was like, hey, do you want to do this thing? And he's like, you know what? I just, n- no. No, I just want to call it for a little while. And I was like, yeah, no worries. And it's like 20 plus years of pestering mm-hmm. Taj. Like... <laughs> Hey, can you do this How to Surf book with me? Can you do this film with me? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like he's just gone. And out of all the ideas, he signed up to the right. Yeah. he's Yeah. Well, he didn't want to. It was like, hey, can you come surf the right with Mark Matthews with me? I'll tell you. He goes, are you in a tow? I was like, yeah, I'll tow it. And he's like, you sure? I was like, yeah, yeah. And Mark's like, no, no, he'll be right. He's got it. Um, and so, yeah, he's just done so much for so long. And... Like when we were first starting Stab, we'd go, we'd go to Hawaii. Hawaii's expensive. And I'd just sleep on his floor in the best Billabong house. And like Luke Egan would be in there with 
with Joel and he'd be so off, that, off it that I'd be staying there. And Andy would be upstairs. And then I'd get an interview with Andy. And every year Taj would be like, yeah, he's come to stay. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it, I got it. And just like so many hundreds of stories like that where he's just, it's like you don't have to do those things. It's, been, it's just been so helpful. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. And so, yeah, I just didn't want to pester him. Like, hey, Taj, can you anchor this house service get paid doco? Yeah, totally. It's um, one of those things, like you said, people watch a few episodes and hopefully be uh, be drawn to it. But, yeah, surfing, I think, it's probably unlike any other sport like that where you can be like Kolohe and support your mate even though he's winning and it, it really hurts. But it's sort of that nature there where people have these stories that align with one another and, there's so many cool stories of people giving someone a leg up that then turned into something way bigger than what they even thought. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's cool to hear that those stories you know run deep. Speaking of which, so we'd started stab and we we're just like running on the smell of an oily rag. So we're paying ourselves five hundred bucks a week, twenty five grand a year. And so I was staying with staying with Taj at the Hyatt at the U.S. Open, and in between that, we're going to make the his surf movie Fair Bits. And these were these days, like, he'd be like, he'd have a little backpack that he'd take to the beach and fins and wax, and we all have those, leg ropes and whatever. And, like, he'd be opening the wax front, and there'd be, like, a 16 grand check there, like, a 35 grand check here. He's just like, what the fuck is going on? And uh, interestingly, the US Open one morning, he goes, I've got to get down there early, I've got to take this guy for a surf. And so he went for a surf on the north side of the pier. He'd, someone had uh, approached him as a real manager. And he went for one surf with the guy and got paid 25 grand US for one hour. Wow. So he earned my entire salary. I was actually earning AUD. He earned that mm. in an hour. And I was, if we were just like, I was just baffled. 50 Aussie in an hour. Yeah. Yep. Um, Incredible. Yeah, it was funny. That's uh, that's next level. Speaking of uh, US and Australian dollars there, there was a snippet of uh, Joel and Taj both signing in AUD when the dollar was at parity. Uh, how'd you get that little tidbit straight well, out I was of Taj's for, mouth? I was there for Taj's deal. And then I just called Joel the other day. I was like, hey, remember, I remember these two contracts. Did you get your sign? And he was laughing. I was like, yeah, I did. And so, yeah. And he was, I was like, you, you don't mind if I put it? He's like, of course. It's, it's funny. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's really good having those relationships with those guys. You can just call them up and ask them. Yeah. And you know what Joel's like? He's pretty candid. Like he's, um, he's sort of, he, he just seems really happy. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, since retiring and uh, everything, it's like, you know, he's got the family and kids and he's surfing more than ever and he hasn't ridden a thruster in two years and you can't wipe the smile off his face. But um, I do think that those guys have a certain guard up, um, particularly uh, with, with different media outlets. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, again, what, what Stab have been able to do to, to get these stories and, and get them so candidly um, is it's nothing short of remarkable. And I think... Um, yeah, I think we're all waiting on the edge of our seat for the next couple of episodes. Getting across to kind of stab and, and how you guys operate, you've got two offices, one yep. here in Byron Bay and another one in uh, California. Yep. You've got people all around the world, you know, you know, editor in Portugal and uh, Ashton Goggins in Hawaii. How do you pull it all together? Yeah, because we've grown a lot. So we, I wrote a letter to our premium subscribers once we went to, we went to the membership model. I was like, hey, any investment we get we're going to put back into the business so we've we've doubled the size of our team uh really quickly and we sort of like this this latest series is something like testament to kind of work we wanted to do because it's just like more timely it's going to take us we're not going to be able to pull it together quickly but it's a storytelling that hasn't been done before because it's hard to find storylines that haven't been covered at all like red bull do a pretty good job on stories like 
there's a lot of people in the space trying to chase, I guess, like blue sky ideas. And so this one we were pretty passionate about. And then we weren't sure how to connect with the audience. And then we, when we, once we launched it, the, the feedback has been incredible, like way better than we could have, ha- could have, could have expected. But going back to the offices in both places, we've just been like the US team will put something out and it's super intimidating. And we're like, oh, wow, we're going to make something really good out of Australia. Keep up. And there's sort of like this rising tide between both of the, um, both of the offices. And then we're just learning as we go. Like it's um, the first step in the dark we did, I think it was like 11 minutes or 12 minutes. And now we're realizing that it's way more suited to drop it episodically, as long as there's some kind of conflict and tension each episode. And we don't have to rush the stories out. So that's what this, this new electric acid's the same. Like if you get one shaper talking about a surfboard, they kind of, it's so instinctual to them. They don't tell you the stuff that's super interesting because they just think that's sort of common knowledge. However, you put them together with another shaper and they go and explain their philosophy and their ideology and there's a little bit of conflict there and they, they explain why they're doing things and it's like, it's just better for storytelling. So we're learning that stuff and um, yeah, we've got we've just got an amazing team. We've never had such a good team. I've never felt so fired up working with him. Like Will Styles, who you haven't met, like he was, when he first started, he was shooting like videos of used cars for a car yard and he's the one who made Surf 100. He's made so many amazing films like You've seen Shinya's work with the graphics that he does for us. Like, his stuff is incredible. Like, there's just, there's so many people. You've seen what the work that Denny does, like, with SURF and his voiceover. And, yeah, it's just, um, it's an amazing group of people and it's it's, it's really inspiring. It must be uh, pretty hard to manage all the ideas flying across the Pacific and, and beyond. Do, do you have any that uh, you've thrown some mud at the wall and they hadn't stuck but you wish they did? And we've got so many, like it's been, it hurt not doing uh, Surf 100 this year. That was, we just had too much work on to go and take the time to do that. Um, we kind of just keep an ideas board of stuff they really want to do. And like, it might take us a few years to get to something, but they're always there and we sort of, we, we do want to pull them off. But Surf 100 seems to be the most obvious thing that we need to do sooner than later. Speaking of relationships, Surf 100 at Trestles, the first version of that sort of property, that featured two WSL surfers. Yeah. How on earth did you pull that off? Uh, so for people that might not find that as challenging to understand as me, constantly the WSL or whoever ASP. Why don't we talk about Kelly? He was just in an unsanctioned event. Why don't we talk about that instead? Well, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> Tropic Surf have been trying to get him for a decade. You did this thing overnight and, and seemed to get it off the ground. So I think speed of return there is something that uh, you guys have in spades. And... Um, yeah, look, there's nothing more daunting. And do I think it's a reality? Probably not. But a Rebel Tour is certainly, it flies around every couple of years. And with COVID smack bang in our face uh, and the WSL at that point in time, unable to sort of mobilize their regions, which they yeah. did later in that year with fantastic events around the world, Brazil, South Stradbroke Island, uh, you know, and, and so on. But at that point, you guys came in in the middle of the swell season at Trestles and put three of the most exciting surfers in the world out in a crowded lineup, fully mic'd, um, you know, again, how'd you pull it off? They could have easily said no. They could have stopped Griffin and Kolohe from ever surfing a tour event again, to my knowledge. These guys signed contracts to be on the world tour. Yeah, so we did a deal with the WSL, spoke with Eric and spoke with Dave Proden, and 
the way it played out was we'd wear the cost. If there was any upside, then we would share the upside of that. In the middle of that, there was a little fairy godmother who came and flexed. I'm not going to speak about, but uh, yeah, it was very helpful. For sure. And then you guys went on to do, you know, later iterations with, you know, Mason Hose and Mikey Feb and Dane Reynolds. And, you know, the, the West Oz one was, was incredible. Um, having those guys mic'd up, I think is so funny. The intel you get from the water and, and what, it, what a surface thinking like as a eight foot North Point wa uh, waves coming their way is, um, you know, pretty funny. So yeah, I'd, I'd definitely like to think we'll get more of those off uh, down the line. But um, there's not too many places that are not captured or you don't have access to anymore like uh technology is so pervasive it's just everywhere but mm. that's sort of one place it still is kind of it's little it's locked down so um and you can't do it with a live event you can only do it with a pre-record because you just don't know what they're going to speak you don't know when they're going to speak and what they're going to say and so you want to cherry pick the best stuff get rid of all the i guess the b-roll and yeah, totally. uh, so that's why that format works so well one idea that I got wind of that I'm not too sure that the truth to it, but did uh, Kelly have one surf on a quiver of boards for a electric acid surfboard test? Two surfs maybe, yeah. So that's been problematic. So we, we asked the shapers to build the boards. We rushed them over and um, Kelly doing what Kelly does. He surfs amazingly articulate. He actually surfed on Christmas Day. He's like, try to pull it together. He's like, can you guys meet me at Haliva? And uh, we've had one or two surfs and yeah, I don't know where that one will go anywhere. We'd love to... Like, I don't know whether you've try, ever tried to organize something with Kelly. He, his whole life is deflecting. Like, there's not a time of the day where someone doesn't want something from him. So it's just like, we're, it's, we're on that list. It's just frustrating. Obviously, when you get Kelly, you kind of, you don't have enough, like, you don't have enough uh, memory or battery to, like, he just keeps going. But yeah, I don't know whether we'll get him, but it would be a great project. He ripped on these boards. He compared, like... There was a there was a board he had that was like really tricked up, it had channels and flyers, and he's like, "Man, we can try to make a really basic aeroplane as opposed to a paper aeroplane as opposed to a tricked up one. The really basic one works. Your surfboards are the same, and just stuff like that. He um he spends so much time thinking about surfboards, and he's highly intelligent. So hopefully he can come and go do these later ones, but. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, like you mentioned, he just surfed in the uh, unsanctioned event over there at the Maldives and, yeah, they've been trying to get him since day one. And every year that event runs, there's always a whisper, Kelly's getting on a jet, Kelly's coming. Yeah. And he, he did, you know, and, uh, you know, hopefully not 10 years though for, for, for one of those um, projects. We spoke a little bit about sort of how you've given the staff, uh, you know, an opportunity to kind of elevate their careers and, and practice their skills. But um, one thing that I kind of would like to get your opinion on is about the Ladybirds. I think what you guys have done there and to elevate, you know, junior women's surfing in a, in a progressive format is, um, you know, in hindsight, it kind of looks pretty straightforward, but before you guys ran ladybirds, like there was really nothing like that getting around. And I think what it's done for those surfers is just given them such an incredible platform to perform. Um, do you kind of sit back and look at these properties sometime and, and have a bit of a chuckle and, and say job well done? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting one. So yeah, ladybirds was, received better than anything we've probably ever done and the response like that was the final that first year was probably more exciting than the men's the men's are all sitting on the back wall just losing it like it was really emotional there was the surf off like had all the elements this is not our idea so this idea was scott sismus from vans he's like you need a women's division need a women's division need a women's division and i was bullish just saying hey they're just not at the level 
and he was he pushed back and uh, it was really healthy tension. He's like, hey, if you don't go and create the platform, the platform will never exist. So you need to give them the opportunity. I was like, yeah, but we just like can't have an open women's. And we kept going back and forth, back and forth. And then we came to doing like ladybirds. So if you do an under 13 women's event and they don't make great as it doesn't matter because they're so young, it gives them permission. It's like, okay, first year. And then we came out, we didn't know what, we didn't know what to expect. And then they just stepped up and it was so overwhelming being there. It was like, oh my God, this is, this is, it's, it's happened. It happened before our eyes. And, uh, yeah, I was, um, it was a little emotional actually being there. It was just like, there's these four little girls just on this, these, we had these little floating pontoons and they're just playing like little kids and they'd all paddle out to the heat and, uh, just started doing these sick airs. It was really cool. And then obviously those guys have just gone from strength to strength. It's been really cool seeing them really master the tube and step up in heavy waves. And yeah, we're going to Lakey Peak soon. And, uh, yeah, I th- I'm really excited to see what the girls who are over there. Yeah, well, let's uh, rip the lid off that one. Stab High, Lakey Peak, 18th-ish to the 28th of uh, September this year. So just around the corner. I think day one of the event for you guys might be around the 22nd. Yep. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it should be good. It's, um, those trades blow into the right. The le- It's going to be interesting to see what people do on the left. But it is really cool just having that platform for those younger girls. Like it's um, there's just the, the progression has been so steep and – just watching, yeah. Just watching what they've what they've been doing is really special. So yeah, it should be good. And uh, like Scott said, you give them the platform and they'll perform. A later episode of the Ladybirds, they were trading off eight foot pits, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. Yeah. Do you know when someone's like smarter than you, and they push you? Like he's so fucking smart. And I'm just like, yeah. And then at the end, I was like, oh, thank you, because we wouldn't have gone there. We wouldn't have gone there organically. You have to get like it was really uncomfortable because you don't want to go and create a platform and see people fail. And I was really scared of that, but um, yeah, he's been around Scott and he knows some things. So it was, um, yeah, it was good to get the push. And over to the open men's division, um, care to share any names that have signed up for Lakey Peak? Yeah, there's a bunch. Um, all the names you'd expect. We're trying to, we're trying to usher in new faces because it's hard. There's not, there's not as many platforms for young male surfers. So we're trying to bring some new faces in, which we're, we're doing, but. Yeah, everyone you would everyone you would expect. Yeah, it's an interesting comment you make there about platforms for young male surfers. I know we started this podcast talking about how surfers get paid. It, it would almost feel that the women uh, are really maximising their potential at the moment in the in the in the pay department uh, when it comes to variety of income. Uh, are you surprised that more men sort of haven't tried to uh, lean on that as, as a business model? Yeah, I just think females are more savvy at social, and so. As such, they're kind of they're working it out, and then there's just some you know you kind of just go where the energy goes, and the, the women have the energy at the moment. So, yeah, I think well, uh, this is a question that we've been posing for these final episodes, and it uh, yeah, I feel like it's um, that's where a lot of the focus will be in the future. And I know a lot of the big brands like there was I think there was a Clementine Ford Facebook post in 2000 and when was it? When, when did the pay parity happen? Was it either was it 2020 or 2018? Uh, 2018 was the announcement, I think, and it started in 2019. Oh, no, 2017 was the announcement. 2018 was the first full year. Okay, so the, the girl wrote the post in, in June. By September, the pay parity had happened. 
I think it'll be very difficult now for brands to do deals that where the men get paid more than women. So I think the next few years will be owned by the women. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, Sky Brown, Stab Ladyboard's a perfect example of that. She only wears Billabong wetsuits. Yeah. And yet is, you know, an Olympian in the skateboarding divisions and, and wears Nike head to toe there. I think the only other person I can think of that, which you've alluded to in other sort of podcasts and, and, and episodes on Stab is, is sort of Mick Fanning. He's the only one that's sort of been able to broker those deals where he keeps Creatures and FCS separate. Um, Red Bull don't own his head, Rip Curl do. Um, but I think that, you know, I think the women are going to lead the charge there. I think you're spot on. Yeah, and the, I, one of the females will get a big non-endemic sponsor mm. and they'll come in. I think that's sort of, that's inevitable. Yeah, definitely. And it won't be locking them down to a certain thing. They'll do one shoot for three days and that'll be that month's campaign and then they'll be able to roll over into the next one. So, yeah, ex- exciting times. We've got COVID in the rear view now. You've mentioned that um, Surf 100 is an exciting thing for you guys to want to get off the ground, stab high around the corner. Got any ideas about who you'd like it's to get? It's Stab High, by the way. Oh, well. Presented by Monster Energy. Oh, I'm just jealous that we didn't get it. <laughs> oh, Quicksilver. <laughs> you got some surfers in there. We're coming. Yeah, yeah, well, hopefully. A few of them are hobbling around on one foot at the moment, but we'll uh, we'll see see how we go. Is Mikey Wright going to surf in it yet or not? I'd say he's a genuine 50-50. I'd like to think so. His mind wants to. He's keen, but uh, he has a, a floating bone in his foot that he's currently rehabbing in the States. So um, he's doing everything he can. So a couple of weeks for him to be ready. I know that he's probably one of the only surfers in the world who doesn't need a warm-up wave. So... He's going to Is take right? take what right up until the end. I mean, certain servers have that right. They're just they're on or they're off. I don't, I don't know that any kind of warming up is really going to matter for him. Yeah. Um, definitely some muscle memory there for him. But um, yeah, what projects you got uh, down in the pipeline that you're excited about moving into next year? We've got four more reps of the house surfers get paid. So there's an energy energy drink episode, Nike episode, uh, Renegades of Risk episode, which all the guys have gone it alone. And then sort of what the future looks like. So there are six apps. What else have we got? We've got electric acid rolling out at the moment. We're shooting Stab in the Dark in November to roll out early next year. Uh, we step into Hawaii to cover the Vans Pipe Masters and then the Vans Triple Crown. We'll do the pickup over there. What else? What else? That's all I can think of right now. Sam, it's been awesome to have you in the dungeon. And that's it for this episode of The Drop. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And just like I said, last chance to get in. Drop Wallets, one word. That is a 20% off discount code that you can use when checking out to get a Stab Premium membership. Drop Wallets, one word, last chance. And with that, I guess, yeah, we'll see you next week. Oh, no, sorry. One last thing. We're going to do a special lowers event. Not event. A special lowers discussion between Stace and myself on, I think, Tuesday of next week before the event starts. So then we'll go back to our regular Friday programming at the drop. But anyway, stay tuned. And with that, over and out.